Hello, and welcome to The Search. I'm Shahe Jurgen. This is Biblical History, the story of God's work through the ages, Lesson 11, Jesus and the Gospel. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Creator God molded and shaped the universe for His glory. He brought life to the earth and planted a garden temple called Eden. The stewards of His creation was humanity, creatures that were from the dirt but also made in God's image. The Lord's plan was to rule over His creation through the humans, making them kings and priests in His glorious service. Through Adam and Eve and their offspring, the glory of God would fill the earth. Everything tragically collapsed when sin entered the world. Adam and Eve decided to reject God's rule and define good and evil on their own. So the Creator cast them out of His presence. He cut off their access to the tree of life, which would have granted them immortality. And as sin abounded on the earth, rebellion and violence increased. God knew that humans needed to be rescued from their sin, so he began to put his plan of redemption into effect. God called Abraham, a man of great faith, to receive the divine blessing. He formed the people of Israel through Abraham's descendants. He summoned Moses to deliver Israel from Egyptian bondage and bring the people into a special covenant with God. He enthroned David to be Israel's model king. He dispatched prophets to call people back when they abandoned the covenant and to announce God's future plans. He exiled his own people to Babylon because of apostasy and idolatry, but promised to restore them to glory. The Jews returned to their land, but recognized that something was still missing and that God's restoration plan was not yet completed. They waited for God's anointed, the Messiah, who would come to rule over the eternal kingdom God promised to David, which had been reaffirmed through the prophets. Messianic expectations were high during the first century AD. An aged and godly man named Simeon, who had been informed that he would see the Messiah before his death, spoke about this great hope of the people. The young virgin Mary was told she would have a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. So she sang of God finally fulfilling his promises to Abraham through her son. Everything recorded in the early chapters of the New Testament depicts a world enraptured in hopeful anticipation that something amazing was about to happen. And indeed, it was. The Bible is divided into two major sections, the Old and New Testaments. The Old Covenant Scripture Collection records the unfolding work of God from creation to the formation of Israel to their Babylonian exile and return to Jerusalem. The Old Testament, of course, was the Bible for the Jewish people, and it formed the basis for the arrival of King Jesus and the fulfillment of God's great rescue plan. The New Covenant Scripture Collection is about Jesus and the inauguration of his reign. The first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, named after their authors. They're known as the Gospels, the good news about Jesus, the anointed king. Now, really, there's only one gospel, but four different men wrote about the good news from their own perspectives. 
The gospel accounts are written in the form of ancient biographies, which emphasize the character and actions of important persons of history, and each of them go about introducing Jesus in slightly different ways, and they highlight his work so as to reveal the depth of his identity. In the end, when combined together, they comprise the full picture of the person, mission, and character of Jesus of Nazareth. Matthew is first. He opened his book with these words. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He followed this with a genealogy which traced the heritage of Jesus all the way back to Abraham, and he concluded with Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Matthew 1, verses 16 and 17. Matthew emphasized here the continuity between the Old Testament and the arrival of Jesus. His message is that the long wait is over. The Messiah has finally arrived. Jesus is the king of David's line Israel has been expecting. To bolster Matthew's presentation of Messiah, he records an amazing incident which occurred after Jesus was born. A group of magi, or wise men, were studying ancient scriptures in the East. They likely descended from the old Babylonian magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers who worked alongside Daniel the prophet, because these magi knew something about the Hebrew scriptures. The wise men had been pondering the Israelite prophecies and had determined that the arrival of a great Jewish king was about to occur. As they were studying, a heavenly sign appeared. They looked into the night sky and witnessed an unusual star that their astrological studies could not explain. They decided to pack up and travel west towards the direction of the star which brought them to Jerusalem. King Herod was the Roman-appointed ruler of the Jews at this time. The Magi visited Herod and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Matthew 2 and verse 2. Now, Herod was upset by all this because he thought he was king of the Jews. When the chief priests and teachers of the law were consulted about this matter, they knew from the old prophet Micah that Messiah was to be born in the town of Bethlehem in the region of Judea. The Magi departed for Bethlehem and followed the star to a house. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, says Matthew 2, verse 11. The point of this account is to emphasize the kingly nature of Messiah as the godly woman Hannah prayed over a thousand years earlier. The Lord will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his Messiah. 1 Samuel 2 and verse 10, Jesus is the Messiah descended from David, destined to be Israel's great king. The second gospel account is Mark. Mark is shorter, more action-packed, and it emphasizes the miraculous works of Jesus and his eventual suffering. It opens with these words, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And then it summarizes the ministry of John the Baptizer. 
Now, all four gospel accounts document the preaching of John. They reveal that John, who was actually a cousin of Jesus, uh, was the forerunner that Isaiah and Malachi had predicted. He was the one who would prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, Mark 1, verse 3. John prepared the way for Jesus by announcing the great themes of Messiah's mission, including the arrival of the kingdom of God and the forgiveness of sins. He immersed people in water when they had repented of their sins and told them that one even greater was about to arrive. Mark documents an occasion when Jesus and his closest companions were traveling by boat when they were suddenly beset by a massive storm. The disciples were convinced their boat would capsize and they would all die in the sea, yet Jesus was sleeping. They furiously awoke him, asking, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Mark 4, 38-41 Jesus worked many incredible miracles, including restoring sight to people who were blind from birth, feeding thousands of hungry men, women, and children with a few pieces of bread and fish, and raising people back to life who had died. These miracles confirmed to the Jews that Jesus truly was a man sent from God. Luke is the third gospel account. Now, Luke was the only Gentile who contributed to the writings of the New Testament. He wrote both Luke and the book of Acts, which really should be read as one two-volume set. Being a Gentile, it makes sense that Luke's account emphasizes the universal reign of God. Jesus was most certainly a Jewish Messiah, the promised king of David's line, but his mission was for all the nations, not the Jews only. One of the ways Luke emphasized the universal nature of Christ's work was to describe the kingdom of God through the imagery of an amazing party. On one occasion, someone asked Jesus if only a few people were going to be saved. This question likely reflected the common conviction of the day that God's plan for rescuing humanity was only for the Jews. Many believed that the Gentiles would be destroyed by God instead of being redeemed. Jesus replied to this question with a warning for the Jewish people that they needed to make every effort to enter through the narrow door because they were at risk of missing the kingdom since many of them were rejecting Jesus as Messiah. But then Jesus continued, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you, you Jews, see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Luke 13, 28 through 30. Ah, Yes, the people will come from east, west, north, and south. All the Gentiles, the nations will attend the party with the righteous Jews, because they followed Jesus. That's a wonderful and amazing picture. And lastly, the gospel according to John. Now, this book wasn't written by John the baptizer, but by one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, the beloved apostle John. 
John emphasizes the identity of Jesus. He wanted his readers to know that Jesus was not merely the Jewish king of the line of David, a mighty miracle worker, and even the sovereign Lord over all the world. Jesus was even more than that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, verses 1 through 3 and verse 14. Jesus is the creator God himself, who came down to earth in a body of flesh to live among his creation. In so doing, he revealed in himself the full glory of God. As God's perfect son, he is the exact representation of what Adam was supposed to be like. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke also confirm the deity of Christ in their own ways, but John makes it clear and powerful. Even though the four gospel accounts highlight and emphasize different themes, they all present a unified message about the person, work, and character of Jesus, especially in terms of Jesus' ministry and death. For example, they testified to the fact that Jesus began his work when he was baptized by John the Immerser. John's baptism was for the forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus came to be baptized, John initially refused, knowing Jesus wasn't a sinner who needed baptism. Jesus, however, insisted. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. Now, the language here is significant. When God announced from heaven, This is my Son, he was leveraging a well-known psalm that says, You are my Son, Today I've become your father. That's Psalm 2, verse 7. Now, Psalm 2 is an enthronement psalm. It was recited whenever a new Davidic king succeeded his father. Think of how significant this would have been. For 400 years, no Davidic king ruled in Israel. The people came back from Babylon and were ruled by one foreign power after another, culminating in the Roman occupation. Yet now, God himself announces the new king has arrived. So, what does the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God with its reigning monarch king Jesus look like? It looks like nothing anyone expected. Most kingdoms exert power through force and violence. Yet King Jesus goes out to heal the sick, minister to the broken, and show compassion on the destitute. Royalty is usually concerned with keeping a spotless image and only associating with society's elite. Yet Jesus eats with sinners, tax collectors, and harlots. Most kingdoms expand through warfare and conquest. Yet Messiah's reign spreads not by the sword, but by the saving message of the gospel. Even the enthronement of Jesus was not what the Jews anticipated because all four gospel accounts record the most amazing thing about the life of Jesus, the way he died. Jesus had announced beforehand that he would be arrested by those who were jealous of him and threatened by his message. 
but that this was all part of God's plan. Those wicked men conspired to have him killed and ultimately accomplished their plans by hanging him on a Roman cross as a traitor against Caesar. Look at what Jesus said about this to one of Israel's leaders three years before it happened. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3, 14-17 When Jesus was crucified, he was lifted up. This was his elevation and the beginning of his enthronement, as God said in the royal psalm, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain, Psalm 2, verse 6. Jesus is the Son of God, the Creator God, the King of the Jews from David's line, the mighty miracle worker and universal Lord. Everything the prophets had announced was being fulfilled in him, yet the nature of his reign was startling. No human had expected that the death, resurrection, and ascension of Messiah would be the means through which God would reclaim the world. Yet that's precisely what has happened. The Jewish people believed that the worst thing in the world was to be oppressed by heathen rulers like the Romans. They were convinced that salvation meant deliverance from the reign of Caesar, but they were wrong. Moses lifted up a bronze serpent to counter the effects of poisonous snakes which were biting and killing Israelites in the wilderness. Jesus was lifted up to counter the effects of sin, which results in death and damnation for all, because all have sinned. Now, one might ask, well, how did the death of Jesus provide salvation from the effects of sin? The answer, ironically enough, was available to the Jews all along, if only they had eyes to see and ears to hear. 800 years before the birth of Jesus, this is what Isaiah the prophet had announced about a special servant of God who would suffer for the people. Surely, he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6. For centuries, faithful Jews would bring their animals to the temple and offer them as a sacrifice for sin. Their blood was shed for the atonement of the worshiper. In a shocking turn, the God of heaven took on a body of flesh and blood, came down to the earth to live a sinless life, and then offered his life as the ultimate sin sacrifice on the cross. Isaiah said that the suffering servant would be punished for the transgressions and iniquities of us all. Messiah's elevation was also his execution. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There are so many wonderful truths to be learned from Jesus and the gospel. Here are just a few. God is the architect of a rescue plan to redeem humanity from the consequences of sin. Number two, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of the Jews, from David's line, the mighty miracle worker, and the Lord of all. 
Number three, the gospel is the good news that produces great joy, that God has fulfilled his wonderful rescue plan in King Jesus. Number four, we've learned about the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and how they were written in the form of ancient biographies concerning the life, character, and deeds of Jesus. And number five, we've learned about the cross. The crucifixion of Jesus was the moment when he became an offering for sin. However, the cross was also the start of Christ's enthronement. And it was emblematic of the kind of kingdom he inaugurated, a kingdom built on love and self-sacrifice. Nothing is more precious or wonderful than the gospel. It's the message God planned from the beginning and worked for thousands of years to painstakingly bring to fruition. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, says Romans 1.16. The apostle John was given a vision of flying angels who proclaim messages. And one of those messages had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who lived on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Revelation 14 verses 6 and 7. Praise God for the glorious gospel.